1844, the Tsar of Russia issued a ban on traditional Jewish clothing worn by Eastern European Jews for centuries, leaving the community with a dilemma. Should they adhere to their cultural customs or comply with the government's decree? There's a story that is told about the Chassid named Peretche. This story appears in a kunturist that's called Ramach Isis. The kunturist Ramach Isis is an interesting pamphlet or booklet of stories that was put together sometime in the early 1900s in Russia. And it was like an unofficial, an unofficial publication of uh, stories. It's existed for a long time now. And uh, a lot of valuable information is there. And this story about a Peretzchein is in this booklet called Ramach Isis. What does it say there? It says that one time the Peretzchein came to the Rebbe, the Tzamach Tzedek. So this is sometime in 1850s. Let's assume sometime in the 1850s, 1840s or the 1850s. Maybe the early 1860s. Comes to, the Peretzchein comes to the Rebbe, the Tzamach Tzedek together with a chassid who was wearing uh, clothes that were not the typical Hasidic clothing, unusual clothing, or more modern clothing. The Tzamech Tzedek did not recognize this other chassid. And he asked Rebbe Chain, who is this other chassid that you're with? So Rebbe answered, ah, this is Rebbeleib Yoyles. That's his name. So the Tzamech Tzedek said as follows, ah, das is Leibke Yoyles, as ich wollt wissen, as levushim poilin, as I feel, this is Leipke Yoyles. Had I known that clothes affects a person so much, then I would have had Mesidus Nefesh over this matter. So what's happening here? When we begin reading the story, we assume that Tzamach Tzedek doesn't recognize him because of his attire, because of his clothing. And that's the only reason that Tzamach Tzedek doesn't recognize him. <clears throat> but as the story reaches its crescendo at the end, we realize the reason the Tzavach Tzadik didn't recognize him is not because he was wearing this suit over that suit or this color shirt over that color shirt. It was because the Tzavach Tzadik was saying somehow the garments that he was wearing, the clothing that he was wearing actually affected his personality. The Tzavach Tzadik was saying, I see into his personality and I see the change that happened in his personality. It's amazing to see how much clothing affects men. So this is a fascinating conversation about the psychology of clothing and how clothing indeed does affect the personality of a person and the behavior of a person. And the Samach Tzadik here is a moment to, to reflect and to notice and to say, wow, look how much clothing affects a person. I didn't even recognize him, namely what? His character. But then the Samach Tzadik said a second thing. And that is that had I known this, I would have had Mesidus Nefesh over this matter. What does that mean when the Samach Tzedek says that I would have had Mesidas Nefesh over this matter? So this is going to become clear as we move to, through today's class. Okay, so we have over here the memoirs of a woman whose name was Pauline Wenegraff. Pauline Wenegraff is a very uh, important, she wrote a very important memoir. She lived from 1833 to 1916. And she lived in Brisk, in Russia. So if you want, and she wrote a memoir toward the end of her life. She wrote a memoir and all about life, how it existed in Russia in the 1840s, the 1850s, the 1860s. And so it's an invaluable resource to learning about this time period. She writes as follows. I'm going to read a few paragraphs from her account. The following happened on a Friday morning in the summer of the year 1845. 
I found myself in the, in the marketplace of the city of Brest, that's Brisk, where many Jewish wives had gathered for shopping for the approaching Shabbos, when suddenly a, a great tumult, tumult broke out. Everyone was in confusion and thronged toward one point close by. Naturally, I also hurried to learn the cause of the uproar. From the crowd was heard laughter, now groaning. At last, I reached the scene and, and encountered a shocking sight. I saw a Jewish woman with a bare head, in the literal sense of the word, since her hair had been cropped off according to the Talmudic precept for married women, meaning her hair was cut off. It was then noyeg at this time for women to have very, very short hair, or maybe even to shave their heads. And so this is what uh, I saw. This hapless victim stood there in this way, surrounded by the crowd, completely terrified on the one hand, on account of the sin of being bareheaded in public, and on the other hand, full of shame before the gaping crowd. With a voice choked by tears, she begged mercy of the policeman standing near her, who had <clears throat> torn off her head adornment and held it up high like a trophy and jiggled it, stirring the crowd to endless laughter. With one hand, the unfortunate woman tried to conceal her naked head with the corner of her apron, while with the second hand, she rummaged around in her satchel to get out the prescribed Russian cap that was, stood, that was stored there. All the while, the woman cried in the most pitiable tone, Panotzik, Panotzik, here I have it. It is in the pocket of my clothes. She finally placed the cap on her bare head, which had horrib horribly disfigured. Only then did the constable, meaning the police officer, compose himself and depart. So this is one account of a story that she tells us happened in the city of Brest in 1845. She then says one, another account. Soon destiny brought a second vi victim. This time it was a poor Jew who came to the marketplace in a long, co-tailed kaftan. A kaftan is a, like a long kapata, but envision it going down all the way to your feet. And co-tailed is like where it gets divided in the back. The policeman greeted him derisively. While he called over a second policeman, he ordered the Jew, who was trembling from fear, to remain standing, seized the large shears that he always carried with him, and now, assisted by his colleague, cut off the long coattails of the kaftan in the style of a dress coat in which the pants became visible. So he cut off this long coat so that now uh, this man's pants was visible before it was not. Then he tore off the poor man's head covering and cut off his pay so close to the ear that the poor man screamed from pain. Thereupon he let his victim go and the market crowd uh, gave the Jew thus converted the accompaniment the accompaniment of loud hooting, meaning referring to non-Jews who are in uh, the marketplace. So this is a few passages of this account where she's writing about what's happening in 1845. Uh, what's, what is going on over here? What's happening here is Tsar Nicholas in the year 1844 passed a law. We all know of Tsar Nicholas's law about the Cantonists. This is where he said that every Jewish community had to give a certain number of Jewish children that could be conscripted to the army for 25 years. That's one of the terrible gzaders that he initiated in Russia. Another terrible gzader that he initiated in Russia was in 1844, when he said that uh, Jews have to stop wearing their traditional clothing. And Pauline Wenegroff, in this book, has an entire chapter dedicated to describing what the typical lavush was for a male and for a female, for a child and for an adult, on Shabbos and on Yom Tif. And there was very specific ways that people dress. So for example, the idea of wearing a suit or even a kapata where you would be, a man's legs would be visible on the street, that was unthinkable. They had this kaftan that would go all the way down. Uh, buttons, 
There was no concept of buttons, for example. You would tie things with strings and with ribbon. Uh, the concept of buttons didn't exist. Likewise, many different areas of dress that perhaps we take for granted today that are normal the way we dress today was not uh, the way they dressed then. And the czar passed laws that said that Jews can no longer wear their typical dress. This included women's head coverings, this included long payas, and many other elements uh, of uh, clothing. In fact, we have a similar story uh, in our tradition about Rebhilo Paracher, where it's brought in, no, in numerous sources. One of them is in Shmuz Susipurim from Falakan, where he writes that one day uh, Rebhilo Paracher was uh, out on the street. A police officer saw him, grabbed him, started wrestling with him, and tried cutting off his payas. Rebhilo Paracher put his hands on his uh, payas and didn't allow the police officer to do what he wanted to do, uh, but he's struggling. And suddenly, he's, uh, this is a big problem, obviously, suddenly there is a Jewish tailor who came by. He knew the police officers. He knew the uh, government officials in town. And he intervened and he saved Erbilo Paracher. It actually goes on. This story is a really interesting story because Erbilo Paracher was so thankful to this person who intervened and saved him that Erbilo said, I, uh, I, uh, I uh, commit to allow you to be buried next to me. And um, what happened was that Abhilo Paracher passed away uh, years later uh, in, while he was traveling in Kherson, very far from the place of this uh, incident. And um, this uh, tailor had a relative in Kherson, the story goes. And uh, years after Abhilo Paracher came, he came to visit his relative and he suddenly passed away there. And the Hever Kadisha uh, wasn't available to bury him, so other people came, they took him to the cemetery, it was snowing, they couldn't really see exactly what they were doing, they buried him after the snow melted away, they realized what happened, and the Hever Kadisha realized what happened, They're like, hey, you can't bury him next to the pillow, such a big tzaddik, this is just a random person. Uh, but they went to the Rav to ask whether they could move him, the Rav said you have to do a hakira to find out, you have to do an investigation to find out who this person was. So they did, and they wrote back to the city, to Parich or to Babrois, to one of the places where, uh, where, where he originated from. And that's when they learned actually that in fact he had this, uh, this story and so it turned out to be this Meredik Ashkacha Pratis. But what, the point is that we see that Abhilo Parachar um, was violating these, uh, the laws uh, and he had uh, um, uh, his long payas. And in addition to having his long payas, uh, we're pretty confident uh, that he also uh, wore the clothing that was uh, traditional for Jews to wear and he didn't uh, heed this law, which is why he got into trouble on this, uh, at this uh, particular time. Okay, so what's, what do we need to discuss? Uh, other than a matter of history, this in fact is a very important halachic uh, discussion. And none other than the Tzamaq Tzaddik himself got involved in this halachic question. What was the halachic question? The halachic question was very simple. Is it permitted for Jews to change their clothing? <clears throat> On the one hand, you could say, this is the tradition. Jews have been wearing clothing in a certain way for a, for a long time. And maybe we, need it. we should keep up that tradition. Maybe it's a mitzvah to keep up that tradition of wearing the clothing. Or do we say that given this gzeira, it's okay for us to go and to change the clothing. So let's have, the Tzamaq Sadek has two long chuvas on this discussion. And let's see what the Tzamaq Sadek has to say. Tzamaq Sadek Sivan Sadek Aleph. Here we're going to list a number of sources. The Tzamaq Sadek has in this chuva a number of sources that raise up the value of a Jewish lavush and talk about the fact that there needs to be the concept of a Jewish lavush. So let's see some of these sources. First, there's a Pasuk in Sefania that says as follows. Sefania, Perak Aleph, Pasuk, yes. 
It's talking about a prophecy that will happen. This is a day where Hashem is going to exact retribution from wicked people. God is going to visit upon, which means He's going to punish the ministers and the princes. Obviously, it's talking about people who committed evil. And then the Pasuk concludes and says, And all those who wear foreign clothes. So, what does this uh, Pasuk mean? At first glance, we're seeing here a verse that says that wearing a Malbush Nochri, foreign clothes, is unacceptable. Now the truth is, there's multiple interpretations to this uh, verse. So for example, the Radak, Reb David Kimchi, brings a Pirush from his father, that this is actually part of the ministers and kings. It's actually explaining what is the sin of the ministers and kings. Why is God going to punish the ministers and princes because they were the types of people who when they saw garments that were nice they would take them away and they would steal them and they would wear them on their own so they were wearing foreign clothes meaning ganveta clothes stolen clothing that's how the father the radak understands this pasik now if that's the interpretation then it has no bearing on our issue likewise Rabbi Yenison ben Uziel in his Targum says that it's actually a metaphor those who uh, wear foreign clothes is a metaphor for those who gather together to serve idols. Okay, so that's the people, the, 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 the demographic of people that God is going to take punishment from. Uh, however, uh, on the other hand, you could say, I follow the literal reading of the verse, and indeed there was a Rav who lived at this time, who was asked the question, his name was Reb Shleim Kluger, one of the most famous Rabbanim, he did not live in Russia, he, he lived in Galicia, and so therefore the Xero didn't affect him. However, he wrote a tshuva on this, and he cited this Pasuk and quotes this Pasuk, like the Tzamaq Tzedek does, but he's the one who said, and said decisively, that I think it follows the meaning that it refers to Jews who uh, start wearing Gentile clothing. And the Tzamaq Tzedek brings in his tshuva that if you look at some interpretations, you take a find that there's justification for this point of view. So that's source number one. Source number two. It says in the Sifri as follows. This is the Medrash uh, called the Sifri on Bamidbar and Dvarim. And it says as follows. Saimar, a Jew shouldn't say, Because they, meaning the non-Jews, are going out with a toga. A toga was a type of garment that, um, that Romans uh, used, to, uh, used to wear. Afani uh, betaga. So I'll too go out with a, uh, a toga. Because they're going out with purple uh, wool. Afani I'll do the same. Because they're going out with a certain type of helmet, no, it is improper for a Jew to emulate the clothing of a non-Jew, and it gives here three examples that are unacceptable, this is a second source that seems to clearly indicate that Jews should be wearing distinctive clothing, another source that Samach Sadek brings is from Bereshis Rabbah, uh, <coughs> uh, Parsha Pei Beis, where it says as follows, there were two students, Shnei Tamidim of Rabbi Yeshua, and Shinu Atifasan, they changed the way they wore a cloak during the time of Shema, during the persecution. We know that during the times of Rabbi Yeshua, Hadrian was the king, and there were a number of persecutions against the Jewish people, most famously about not, uh, about not studying Torah. There were some others that we'll see later on. Uh, it's important to note, there was no Xayra about Jewish clothing. Jews were free to dress, as far as we can tell, as they wanted. So, but these Jews changed the way they dressed. These Talmudim of Rabbi Yeshua changed the way they were dressing. Why did they change the way they were dressing? Very simple, because they... If you're going to learn Torah, you don't want the police saying, oh, there are two Jews walking. Maybe they're going to learn Torah. Let's follow them. This is what, you're more under the radar. You're under the radar. They think you're a Gentile. And so therefore, this is what they did. They went with, uh, they changed the cloak in a way that uh, looked like a, a, a Gentile. 
Paga Bahem Sradio Techod. So a officer, a Roman officer met them. Amar Lehman said, uh, what's, what's this double standard? If you're real children of Tyrus, have Mesidus Nefesh for it. What, be proud that you're Jewish. If you're not loyal to Tyrus, so then why are you going to learn? Why are you having this type of Mesidus Nefesh? Amrulai, they said, we are loyal to Torah, we are children of Torah, we're willing to be, die for Torah. However, we're not committing suicide. And so therefore, it makes a lot of sense for us to conceal the fact that we're Jews so that we could go and learn Torah. We don't have to do it so in a public way that's going to cause us to die. We're not committing suicide. Says the Samach What's the whole thrust of this story? The whole thrust of this story was that normally, how did the Jews go? Normally they would go with distinctive clothing, which is why anyone would be able to tell you, oh, don't get tired, here's a Jew who's going. And so because it was Shasa Shmad, not that the Shmad was that you need to change clothing. The Shmad was you're not allowed to learn Torah. And because it was extenuating circumstances, they changed their clothes. So here's another source for the idea that Jews ought to have, in normal times at least, Jews need to have uh, distinctive clothing. Next source. Is a halachic source. The Rambam in Hilchas Havidus Kachavim Mazalus Perak Yud Aleph says as follows: Ein Hilchim Bechukas Eidik Kachavim. We're not allowed to follow in Gentile ways. V'loy Medamalehem. We're not allowed to try to be similar to them. Loy Bemalbush. Not in clothing. V'loy Beseor. Not with hair. Hair. V'chayetavehen or other things. Shenemar. And he quotes two psukim. Loy Selchu Bechukas Agayim. Don't follow the ways of the laws of the Gentiles. V'nemar Bechukasim Leselechu. Another verse that says essentially the same thing: Don't go in their ways. Ella rather Yia Hayisrael moved on my hand. A Jew should be separated from him via dua and distinctive bimalbusha in his clothing of Ishar Maisav and in his other deeds. Very clearly here, you have a statement in the Rambam that says Jews need to have distinctive clothing. The Samach Sadek then adds another interesting uh, source, another interesting idea, and that is the Pasuk says in the end of Parashat Ketoshim, Va'avdil amin. I will separate you. It uses the Lashen Havdalah. Says the Samach Sadek, ah, that's interesting, the Lashen of Havdalah. We use... Havdalah, that term, between Shabbos and Chil. And guess what? For Shabbos and Chil, there's a chiyuv to have actually distinctive dress. In other words, you can make a lachic argument that whenever there needs to be Havdalah, that Havdalah has to express itself in clothing. And so therefore, Tzarech Liyashin Levushin. That's an interesting argument. Tzamech Tzadik adds on his own. So here are a few sources. We had a Pasek and Tzafanya. We had two Midrashim. We had a Rambam. And then the Tzamech Tzadik's own argument. All of which seem to lean in the direction that a Jew needs to have a clothing. And, and a, a distinctive clothing. And in fact, that it's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. Once that becomes the case, then all of a sudden we're up the creek now. In 1844, we're up the creek. Why are we up the creek? Because... <clears throat> We have a din of Mesidus Nefesh. When you learn this din of Mesidus Nefesh, the things you need to risk your life for, it's going to become apparent that if the government comes and says, you need to violate any mitzvah, doesn't matter which one, any mitzvah, if the government is doing this in a way that they're trying to get Jews to stop keeping a mitzvah, then the din is, Yarek Val Yavr, you have to be willing to die. And if you have to be willing to die, all of a sudden that means that right now in Russia in 1844, we need to do everything possible to make sure that we don't give in and we're not allowed to keep the law. We have to go against the law, even if it means death. Where does that come from? That comes from the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Ayindalit Amen Aleph. The Gemara says as follows If a non Jew tells a Jew, violate it, and so this way, your life will be spared. So indeed, you should violate it. Don't allow yourself to get killed. Idolatry, certain, uh, form, uh, certain illicit sexual relationships, and murder. Okay. This is not one of those three. 
clothing is not one of those three. However, when Rav Dimi came from Eretz Yisrael, he said in the name of Rabbi Yechanan, he said as follows, when do we say that it's only these three, if the government doesn't issue decrees? But if it's a gzera, then even if it's a mitzvah kala, even if it's a mitzvah kala, for right now we'll just say, any mitzvah, even if it's not a very significant one, any mitzvah. Well, guess what? But this is a mitzvah kala. Clearly it's a mitzvah kala. The Rambam told us that it's one of Alavim. It's chukas and leiselechutz. All of the sources that we looked at before tell us that it's at least a mitzvah kala. Maybe it's more than a mitzvah kala, but at least it's a mitzvah kala. And so therefore, have we reached a point in 1844 where we say, Okay, Gemara continues and says one other thing. That's not negea right now, but will be negea later. Another exception. Even if there is no government persecution, when did we say it's only three things? If it's, when, uh, when, if it's in hiding, no one knows about it. If it's in public, then even if it's a mitzvah, even if it's a small mitzvah, so basically you have the rule, and then you have two exceptions to the rule. The rule is, you violate everything except for the big three in order to save your life, then there are two exceptions. One exception is if government persecution, then we don't violate anything. The other exception is if it's in public, in front of 10 people, then also we don't violate anything. We have the din of Yareg Valyav. Okay, so the implications here are very, very severe. And so therefore we need to make sure that we answer this question uh, right, because it's mamish an issue of life and death. Okay, now once we're at this topic, Let's pause now the analysis of the Tamak Tzedek and point out that if this is the case, then maybe we have actually a challenge with the story of Yudin and Mitzrayim. We may even we have a challenge to these sources. What's the challenge to these sources? So in this week's parsha, you look at number 10, we learn, They borrowed, well, either borrowed or they asked for gifts, depending on which sheet you want to go with, uh, silver, gold, and smallest garments, clothing. They, they took, co- one second, one second. They took garments from the Egyptians. And they were commanded. One, number nine, number nine, go back to Here the Ebishter is saying to Moshe Rabbeinu that the Jewish people should borrow they're going to give them to their children. So here we see that Jews are taking Gentile clothing. Well, this is not going to be a problem. Why would this not be a problem? Because there are many different answers that could be given, and we're going to do two of them. One of them is the Chsam Seifer. The Chsam Seifer writes as follows. They, in fact, did not change their clothing. In other words, they didn't put it on in Mitzrayim. When they were in the desert on the way to Israel, then that's when they put it on. In fact, this reminded them of the nest. What's bothering the Chsam Seifer? The bothering the Chsam Seifer is to imagine Jews in Egypt wearing Egyptian clothing, given all those sources that we spoke about earlier, is unimaginable. So, but on the other hand, once you leave Egypt, what's the problem? You're not living among them anymore, so there is no Israel. In fact, there's a Mila. What's the Mila? When you woke up in the morning and you put on your Egyptian garment, you remember the Nase, the Yitzhiya Sosraim, and so this was the purpose of taking out the smaller. There was a Rebbe, the first Rebbe of Shinova, whose name was Yechaskel Shraga Halvishnam, his dates are 1815 to 1898. So he's Mamish living there, during this Kufa of the, of the Gzeira, of the Levushim. And in his Sefer, he writes as follows. He asks the question, how come in Shmois it says that the garments you're going to put on your sons and daughters? You'd wear it yourself. Why does it say? It makes it sound like it's about the kids. You know, sometimes parents blame things on the kids. It's for the kids. What is it? It's for the kids. You can use the garments yourself. So he says very simple. There's an iser 
to wear an Egyptian garment. You're not allowed to wear it. So what's the only, but, but they borrowed it, they, or they were taking it, so what was the function? They were taking it, and then they cut it down and to change it. Once you're cutting it down and changing it, so obviously you don't have enough material for the adult, because once you start playing around with the garment, it doesn't fit. So they were able to use it in a way that it would fit the children, because of the changes that they made. But they were not able to wear it for the adult. It's like a shmak pirish that, uh, that he says. I'll go upon it. All of this was a derech agat. We saw in the first part of the year. we saw all of the sources that Samach Tzedek brings that say there's an Indian in wearing Jewish clothing. The upshot of that, the second you recognize there's an Indian in Jewish clothing and a mitzvah in Jewish clothing, it's a mitzvah kala. Once it's a mitzvah kala, all of a sudden, right now, in 1844, it seems that we're dealing with a yare valyavah. However, it's not so simple. Maybe, in fact, it's not a mitzvah kala. Maybe it's not a mitzvah at all. Maybe, imagine the government said that instead of using a certain Kleenex when you're sneezing, you need to wear, you only, uh, when your, your nose is running, you need to use a different type of tissue. Okay, we wouldn't care, right? So maybe Jewish clothing is in the same category. Why? So here the Tzamaq Tzedek proceeds to bring a whole bunch of uh, sources that seem to say there is no Indian, there is no Chiyav at least, that, uh, of, wearing a Jewish, uh, of wearing distinctive garments. So let's see these sources. Same Tshuva, Simen Tzadak Aleph. He says as follows. First, he brings from the Sifra. The Sifra is the Medrash Halacha and Sefer Vayikra. It says as follows. What is the verse which Rambam brought before told us you have to have distinctive garments? What does this verse really mean? Says the Sifra, Don't follow their customs. For example, Tetarios, theaters, notice the, it's mamish the same word, Kirkasios, circuses. Remember the word circus is a C. So if you pronounce that C as a hard C, it's the same word. Carcassois, Veoistarios, stadiums, circuses, stadiums, and theaters. These are things we shouldn't be going. Okay, this is the first shita. Now, if you pause here, it sounds like that's all. Garments aren't mentioned there. It's only those types of three uh, things. Going to a gladiator fight in Rome is off the table. Going to a horse race or whatever it is, it's not a discussion today exactly which sports is part of this, is it or not. But the point is, that's the genre of things that Vachuk Hashem Leisalechu is talking about. The Meir Oimer, Elu Darche, Amori, Shamanu Chachamen. We have Darche Amori. Darche Amori is this term the Chazal used for a whole bunch of things that aren't Aved but they're related to Aved superstitious things that are about dealing with um, talking to ghosts, for example, and other uh, type of Nichushim uh, um, uh, is, is, is what it's referring to. So that's what it's talking about. Okay, so then again, that's not dealing with clothing. Rabbi Yehuda ben Beseir it refers to three types of haircuts that a person is not allowed to take, and he says the word, Shaloi Sinchar, Shaloi Tzegadol Tzitzis, V'Shaloi Tispar Koimi Safa. So these are three types of haircuts. We're not going to get into the difference of what each one is, but okay, here you see that's maybe getting a little closer, but at the end of the day, the Samach Tzedek says when you read this Medrash, you don't see anything here about clothing, and so therefore you could say clothing is not part of it. In fact, from the fact that it didn't bring clothing tells you clothing is not part of it. Then he brings a Paisik. Remember before we had the Rambam? So here he says, at the same time of the Rambam, in Ashkenaz, there was a Yid by the name of Rabbi Lazar of Metz who wrote a Sefer Yireim. He passed away uh, 1198. And uh, around 1198, and his sefer uh, says as follows: You want to know what this prohibition is? In the Taisafta the Shabbos, the same thing that Rabbi Meir was referring to, the Darche Amiri. That's where they enumerated all the things that are part of their laws that you're not allowed to keep. Like one of them we once spoke about wearing a red string, for example, is one of the things that's listed there as a dark hayamoyri. Don't add. You're not allowed to use reason here. It's a tradition. So you can't add to the list. And guess what? Clothing is not part of the list. Then the Samach Tzedek brings the following medrash. The medrash says, Amar This is Bamid Marabah. 
The deeds of Jews are different from the Gentiles. And then it enumerates how we plow a field. Why? Because we're not allowed to plow with a shur and a chamur together. How we plant, because we're not allowed to do kalayim, two types of seeds together. Bixi rasan, the way we um, the way we cut the the way we cut the, uh, a field, because you have to leave peah. But oimran, the way we gather uh, the bundles, because there's dinoshikha. Bidi shasan, he goes on, he gives seven or eight different things over here. The bottom line is, in this list, there is no clothing. So here again, it does seem to say that yes, we're separate from the Gentiles in many different behaviors. However, clothing is not one of them. Then what the Samasadak does is, he brings a tshuva from an earlier Rishon. He brings from a Rishon. Who's a Rishon? The Maharik. Maharik is Rabbi Yosef Kalon. Rabbi Yosef Kalon lived in Italy in the 1400s. And he there, there is dealing with the following uh, issue. Basically, there was another rabbi at the time whose name was Rabbi Yehuda Meser Leon. And Rabbi Yehuda Meser Leon received an honorary degree from uh, the emperor, which allowed him, if you had an honorary degree, it allowed him to wear a special... Uh, cape, kappa is the word in the truth, that no one else would wear. Then there was a lot of rules and regulations in Gentile society, Bechal, about what you could wear and what, you know, if you're part of this class, you can wear a certain type of garment. Anyway, because he had this honorary degree, now he can wear this special cape, and he wanted to. Uh, people said, oh, maybe you're not allowed to. And so the whole tshuva, they asked the Maharik, Rabbi Yisaf Kolon, and there's an entire tshuva about the whole issue of, of, of wearing uh, Gentile clothing. And so, uh, obviously, it's very relevant. So the Tzamech Sadek brings... Uh, the Marik. One of the po- things the Marik uh, points to, the Marik's large ar- main argument there is, he says a number of things, and we're not going to get into all the details, but one of his points is that there is no obligation to wear distinctive Jewish clothing. And he points to the following Gemara and Me'ilah. The Gemara and Me'ilah, Daf Yuzayin, Amar Aleph says as follows, once the, the, Gemara, the Romans made a Gzeira that you should not keep Shabbos, you should not give a Mila a bris mila, circumcised children, and there should be no mikvah. Women should not be able to go to the mikvah so that by definition the men and women will be violating the iser, the prohibition of nida. So what do they do? So a man by the name of Reb Ruven ben Isterubuli, he went to Rome. But what he did was visiper koimi. He took a Roman haircut. In other words, he looked like a Roman. And the Gemara goes on to say that he came to the Roman government and he said like this, Jews, we don't like the Jews, right? They assumed he was a Gentile. We don't like the Jews. So if you don't like the Jews, it's be- let them not work on Shabbos. They'll have less, less money. Let them uh, give circumcision to their children. They'll make them weak. Let them, uh, let them keep the laws of mikvah, which means that they're having relations uh, uh, less frequently. And so therefore they'll have less children. This is the type of thing we would want for our enemy. So people say, you know something, it's a great idea. And so they, 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 they rescinded all the decrees. Then the Gemara says, they found out, ah, he's really a Jew, so they put all the decrees back on, which is why Reb Shem had to come later, and through some miracle, he was able to get all the decrees off. Says the Ma'arik, one second, he just changed his haircut, and then they, they thought he was a guy? How's that possible? Muslim Zagin, then garments, there was, there was no difference. In other words, many, many Jews wore uh, uh, the, the non-Jewish garment. The only thing he needed to do was to change his haircut. So from here is a raya that during this time, Unlike other sources that we saw earlier, you, Jews had a regular, uh, Jews wore, wore, wore regular clothing. <clears throat> this is what the Marik says in Simon Peches. Then the Marik brings another argument. The other argument that the Marik brings brings us back to the Gemara that we saw earlier, the one that says that you need to have mysterious nefesh for a mitzvah kala. If the government says that you're not allowed to, uh, the, the you're not allowed to keep a certain mitzvah. Uh, so then, Yareg Val Yaber, we have to be willing to die. 
So yeah, let's read this carefully. So the Gemara asks as follows. My mitzvah kala. What's an example of a mitzvah kala? What do we mean when we say mitzvah kala? So what's the answer? Even to change the arkasa de mesona. So even to change the arkasa de mesona is not allowed, and the government says you need to do it, you're not allowed to do it, and even be willing to die. So Rashi needs to explain to us what does it mean, arkasa de mesona, what is it, right? When we read our list of the tayag mitzvahs, we don't know the, on, on that list, we don't see the mitzvah of arkasa de mesona. So what is this referring to? Says Rashi, Arkasa de Masana means Sroi Chanal. It means the shoelace. If the non-Jews tie it in a certain way, and the Jews do it differently. But now look, why do the Jews do it differently? Rashi felt the need to explain why the Jews do it differently. For example, there's a Jewish reason. There's a reason of Judaism. There's a, a reason of Judaism for why they do it differently. Because the Jews are modest. In other words, there's two ways to make a boat. There's two ways to make a knot. One is an immodest way, one is a modest way. Or maybe it's, there's two colors you could have on your shoelace. One is a modest color and one is an immodest color. So if the Jews have a modest way and the Gentiles have an immodest way, this is what we mean when we say mitzvah kala. There is no mitzvah here. There's not a real thing here. There's not one of the 613 commandments. It's a minig ba'alma. Still, you have to go on Kiddush Hashem over here. Says Maria, hold on a second. What did Rashi do? He busied himself. He went out of his way to say that the case is talking about this is a Jewish reason, which is namely modesty and sneers, for why you need to preserve the Jewish way of doing things. In other words, if the Jews happen to do their shoelace in one way, and the Gentiles happen to do it in another way, but there is no argument of sneers for one way or the other, they're both equally sneers. Then, does this whole Gemara apply? No, the whole Gemara doesn't apply. The Gemara only, the whole Gemara only applies if there's a, a Jewish cause, a Jewish reason for why, uh, for why you should be doing it. So therefore, says Amarik, what do you see from here? There is no argument for Jewish clothing. Because otherwise, what Rashi would have just said is, there's a value in Jewish clothing. It's one of the 613 mitzvahs. And so therefore, if they said to change it, then you're not allowed to change it. Rashi didn't say that. You know why he didn't say that? Because there's no such thing. So therefore, he had to come up with a different thing. There is a command, there's a minig for tzniyas. If it's a violation of a minig for tzniyas, so then takah is Indian Jewish clothing. And that's what Marik's point is. Marik's point is like this. To be separate from Gentiles or different from Gentiles, is there such a thing? No. Oh, if they have a certain type of garment that's not tzniyistic, then yes, then yes. And to the very says, if something is immodest in dress, if it's too showy or something like that, then it's taka, Jewish value to not wear that type of garment. That goes under the category of misakala, which, by the way, teaches us a very, very serious thing. Uh, 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 it's something that needs to be taken seriously. But other than that, there is no value in something that Jews just happen to be wearing at a certain time. So the Tzamech Sadek brings all of these sources. So where does that leave us? Where that leaves us is that in the Simon Sadek Aleph of the Tzamech Sadek, we have two lists. We have one list of sources that tells us there's a value in Jewish clothing. It's value, it's even a mitzvah. And we, we saw another list of sources that basically tell us there is no value in Jewish clothing. Putting the issue with Tzniyas aside, which was not a, not an issue in Russia, it's not like the command was, by the way, that you need to change modest clothing for immodest clothing. Clothing, the, the alternative was modest as well. So you have these two different uh, paths. So how are we supposed to go about it? And the nafkamina is huge. 
Why? Because it's literally, as of now, the way we're thinking right now, the nafkamina is, can I say, oh, it's the same, the government told me that instead of using this tissue, I need to use a different type of tissue. No problem, I'm listening. Or do you say, the government told you that you need to stop doing a certain Jewish observance that's important, and so therefore, because it's coming from the government, it's shas hashmad, and so therefore, yarek val yarek. Now what's interesting is that we have a psak in the Shulchan Aruch. The Mechaber follows the, Ram, uh, follows the Rambah, which is very usual. The Mechaber writes, in Yeridea, Kuf Ayin Ches, Yilbash, Malbush, Hamyuchad Lahem, do not wear the type of garment that is unique to them. Okay, that's Mamesh, uh, what, the, what the Rambam was said. However, comes the Ramah, and the Ramah says as follows, this is only when do we say that a Jew is not allowed to wear Gentile clothing, only if the Gentile cloth, clothing is one that is immodest. For example, the red clothing, which is very showy and ostentatious, so that's unacceptable. Or if they're wearing garments in a way, a certain garment in a way that we don't know why they're wearing a specific garment, so then you have to worry. Maybe it's Darche Amoiri, maybe it's some superstitious thing. So then it's a problem. Then we need to worry about Darche Amoiri. But absent those two factors, there's no issue whatsoever. The Ramah basically paskins like the second way that we saw. So you would think that the Samach Tzedek is uh, under the influence of the Ramah. It's a psak in Shulchan Aruch. And so therefore you would say, end the story. We can end our case right here. The Ramah basically tells us there's no issue of Jewish clothing whatsoever. And so therefore it's the example I gave you before of changing one tissue for another tissue. And so therefore it's not a problem. Interestingly, the Samach Tzedek does not do this. Why he doesn't do this, I don't know. You actually have to have a better, a broader uh, understanding of the Tzamach Sedek's Tshuvahs, uh, uh, and that is, how did he treat the Shulchan Aruch? In other words, if you have a lot of sources, did he say Shulchan Aruch is the final word on all matters? Or did he feel that, no, you actually have to analyze all the sources and, and let the chips fall where they fall. I don't know enough to be able to weigh in on that. The fact is, over here, he doesn't even cite the Shulchan Aruch. Doesn't cite not the Mechaber and not the Ramah. And he leaves off the Tshuva in a way where he basically doesn't say, he brings all the sources for this way, he brings all the sources for that way, and we're kind of, therefore, left. It's a little bit of enigma. So what is it? Samach Sadek's Is there a Chiyuv to wear Jewish clothing? Or is there not a Chiyuv to have Jewish uh, clothing? So the truth is that there's another Tshuva, the Samach Sadek, which we're going to see in a second. And this Tshuva is going to be Simen Tzadik. What's going to happen in this Tshuva? The whole thrust of Simon Tzaddik is going to be, even if you say that there is an obligation to wear Jewish clothing, even if you adopt the Rambam's approach that we saw earlier, even if you reject the Maharik's approach that says there's no Indian in Jewish clothing, I'm going to come up with a reason why here we don't have to worry about it in this unique case, because of the reasons that he's going to enumerate in Simon Tzaddik. So it could be that Samach Tzaddik basically felt that he didn't need to weigh in here, and he didn't need to say what the final halacha is like, because what's the benefit of doing that? At the end of the day, there are people who are going to want to follow the other opinion, who want to follow, because there are many, many sources that seem to say that there is a mitzvah to have Jewish clothing. So therefore, the Tzamech Tzedek feels that that's not the main work. The main work is not to say if that view is right or wrong. The main work is to say, even if you accept that uh, work, is there a heter nonetheless? And that's the work, that, that, that's the thing, that, that's the material that the Tzamech Tzedek does in Simin Tzedek. Okay. Before we get there, I just want to talk about the minig for a second. What, we have these two paths. So what was the minig? So you can ask this question every time and every place. What was the minig? And the answer actually is going to be different. I want to just show one example of this. On the one hand, this chuva the Marik, 
he writes along the way, he writes as follows. She'ein bedoyer hazeh, in our generation, there is no person shloyubash levush hadoimim levush zikneyem or levush yaldeyem. Everyone has clothing that's either similar to the older Gentiles or to the younger Gentiles. How can anyone get up and say that there's a prohibition over here? We know that Rabbanim are very sensitive when everyone is doing something a certain way. They're very sensitive for if someone's going to come and say, you, get, you got it all wrong, you're doing it wrong. That's what's happening. The Marik is writing in Italy in the 1400s. He's saying, everyone here is basically wearing clothes, Gentile clothing. So that's... What he's talking about, that's his reality that he's, he's talking about in the 1400s in Italy. On the other hand, there is the concept of Vadar Baratzis. This was a body of political leaders, Jewish political leaders and Rabbanim, that were basically uh, the government for Jews that were living in Poland, uh, uh, 1500s, 1600s, uh, through the 1700s. And um, there was once a ledger that had all their takanis that they made. This was lost, I believe, during World War II. It disappeared. Um, but uh, there are, from someone, there was an author who went around and found many places that quoted from this ledger of their takanis, and he put out a sefer. It's called the Pinkas Vadar Baratzis. So over there, he has a takana from the year 1607, and it says as follows this is Poland. Lesakein. You need a, all the communities need to make a takana. Men and women should not wear non-Jewish clothing. Which is common. Jews should be distinctive with their clothing. So you see here two points. On the one hand, we see that in 1607 there were a lot of Jews who were starting to wear Gentile clothing. But on the other hand, we see that here the Rabbanim's position was, no, we should fight this. And they felt that they could fight it. And they felt that there would be enough people who would listen to them and say that this is unacceptable. And we know that in Eastern Europe, for the most part, Jews taka, for the most, there were always exceptions, but for the most part, till the time of the Samach Sedek, Jews were, uh, at least the majority of Jews, were wearing this distinctive clothing that Pauline Wenegroff describes at great length over there. So you see kind of the minig kind of went both ways. It really depends on the time and on the place. But as I said, the Tzamech that gave us these two shittis. One shit is, is a mitzvah to wear distinctive clothing. The other says there is no such a thing. The, the difference is huge. What the Tzamech Sadek is therefore going to do now is going to have a, Simon Sadek is going to say, let's assume you're right that there is. Chukasein means that you're not allowed to have non-Jewish clothing. Nonetheless, I'd like to present the heter for why it's okay for us in this case to change our clothing because of the Tsar's decree in 1844. So in order to understand this tshuva, we need to go back to the Gemara in Sanhedrin Dafayindal. Says the Gemara as follows. <clears throat> we learned before that in public, Yareg Valyavar, the whole concept of there's only three mitzvahs that you die for is not true, is only true in private. In public, Yareg Valyavar. In fact, the Gemara, we have a problem. What's the problem, Esther? Esther was in public. Everyone knew she's being taken to Achashverosh. And... Um, there isn't the issue of Gila Arroyos here, because when we say Gila Arroyos, Yareg Val Yaber, we mean like an Ishazish, adultery, uh, relations between a Jewish woman and a guy, Tosas assumes, is not, doesn't rise to the level of Gila Arroyos, that Yareg Val Yaber. But the Gemara's question is, it was in public, everyone knew Esther is being taken. So even if it's a regular Aveira, shouldn't she have said, no, kill me, because this is an Aveira and it's in public? So the Gemara gives two answers. One answer is Esther Karka Oilam So This is Abayah's answer. What's Abayah's answer? So Rashi explains that what he means here is uh, that what, uh, um, what, the, what Abayah means here is as follows. Esther's Avera here would be completely passive. 
And that is, the, the sexual act for a woman is not being active, passive, and the rule doesn't apply if you're being... Avedah Zara, you're being active. Gila Roy is for a man being active. Shvich is and you're being active. So then, Yared Valyavu. But if you're being passive, then even if it's parasya, we don't care. That's Abaya's answer. Rava's answer is a different answer. Hanas Atman Shani. What does this mean? That Achashverosh here wasn't trying to make uh, Esther do an Avera. He wasn't focused on Esther's spiritual standing. He wasn't focused on Esther's religion. He's focused on his own pleasure. If you focus on his own pleasures, then okay, we don't care if it's Farasia. Now, a whole discussion, but the Samach Sadek assumes that just like these two factors, Take away the parhesia, the farhesia, meaning that if it's done in public, you don't have to worry, you don't have to die, even if it's in public. So too, it takes away the other thing, and that is if the gemara, the government is doing it in an ifen of when the gemara is is is, uh, is doing it b'shas hashmas. If you have exeres hamachos, so then if you're passive, abai, if you're pa- Esther karka if you're passive, you don't have to worry about it. Okay. Problem is that wearing Jewish clothes, clothing is not passive. Fine, but. The, the point is, he wants to, we want to assume anything that's permitted if it's parasya is also going to be uh, permitted uh, Now, the Tzamech Sadek says as follows. He comes up with a very interesting idea. And he establishes this with sources. We're not going to have the, uh, we're not going to have the ability to get into these sources. We'll just see what he says. He argues, <clears throat> If there's any fact, factor of their own personal anah, even if it's a mixture of coercing Jews to violate their religion, you don't have to go on mysterious nefesh. Wow. So what's the idea here? All of a sudden we're learning that, what do we say about Esther? Oh, Achashvedosh didn't intend to convert her to get her to go against her religion. He only wanted his Hanon. Tzamech Tzedek says, what if it's a mix? What if it's, what if it's both? That... The, I, want you, I want you to go against your religion, but really, there's also my motives here for my own pleasure. So Samach Sadek says, I think it's the same thing. I think it's the same thing, meaning that all of a sudden, it doesn't go under the category that you need a Yareg Val How is that relevant? So here he says, Simon Sadek is, is written to someone. Sadek Aleph it doesn't look like it was written to anyone. It's like an essay that Samach Sadek wrote. The two uh, shittis. But here he's writing to him. The question that you asked. Definitely the government has their own personal hana that's a part of this uh, decree. What's their own personal hana? That through this Jews will be like regular citizens. Jews will not see themselves as foreigners. The ministers of the government care about this. Maybe the government wants that it should be like in those countries where there is equality. There's more brotherly love among citizens. This is the government that Jews shouldn't separate themselves from the Gentile population. Another reason why the government may want this is one of the distinctive clothes that Jews would wear, which was banned, was wearing silk. Well, you're wearing silk. Silk is fancy. So the governments at that time would say, why are you wearing fancy clothing where you're then lifting yourself up and you're, you're saying you're better than the, than the peasants who are living around you who don't have the, that ability. So in other words, Tzamech Sadek here lays out social arguments, social reasons why a government would want to tell Jews not to wear their distinctive dress. And therefore he says, yeah, I mean, maybe there's Lahaver al-Dos, maybe the motive here is to 
move Jews away from their mitzvah, because we're assuming now there is a mitzvah to wear distinctive Jewish clothing, but at the end of the day, that's not their only motive. It's not their fo- sole focus is to get you to go away from your mitzvah. They have their own interest. And because they have their own interest over here, so therefore it's Hanas Atman. Once it's Hanas Atman, we learned that by Esther, Hanas Atman meant that it was different, and suddenly it was permitted. And so therefore, Hanas Atman here as well is going to be uh, permitted. Then he goes further and says, V'oid, Al-Kopanim Bahama Anes. There's the bureaucrat, who's, there's the government ministers who are sitting in Petersburg, who make the decree, but then there's the police officer on the street, who's the one who executes it. And in him, you think that police officer says, oh, you have a certain way in your religion, and I want you to go against your religion. They don't care about that. They're just trying to do their job. And so because they're trying to do their job, so then the idea of, oh, they're trying to get me to go against my religion, that's uh, not here in him. And so therefore that's another factor that could be mixed in. These are major chidushim. Because with Ahasuerus, we understand what's happening. Achashar doesn't care about religion. He's not thinking about religion. He's not trying to change anything in the Jewish community. He's not trying to impact the Jewish community. He's not trying to change anything. He just wants to have pleasure. And so therefore we say, fine, that's different. But here, you have a government policy that's trying to change an area of Jewish life. Very clearly trying to change the area of Jewish life. And somehow the Samach Tzedek is able to say, but you know something? It's not Lahaver Ados. And, and you need to ask yourself, what is Lahaver Ados then? Which decree, which government decree is Lahaver Ados? Because when the Romans banned Mila, or when the Romans banned Shabbos, or when the Yevsexia and the, and the Russians and the Soviets banned certain things, you can't come up with similar arguments? The distinction between the people who make the policy and the officers who execute it? I think you could. Can you not make the distinction that he's talking about that? There's a certain argument. They want equality amongst people and, and, and social cohesion amongst people. I think you could. You really need to think well about what the Samach Sadek's doing over here. It does seem like to be a major Kiddush. Now, he recognizes that, and that's why he adds another heter. We just saw heter number one, now we're going to do heter number two. What's heter number two? He brings a very interesting medrash. The medrash says in Shmois Rabbah that a mayor says that when the Jews said Nasev and Nishma, at that very moment, their heart was not in it. They tricked God with their lips. They expressed dedication, but really in their hearts they weren't loyal to Hashem, which is why negative things happen later. Okay. Now, at the same time, the Tzamech Tzedek says, we know that Yidin were rewarded for Nasev and Nishma. So what does that teach us? If you put these two Midrashim together, that on the one hand, it was only uh, the lips that were speaking, and on the other hand, nonetheless, Hashem rewarded that. What do you see? It's a very interesting argument, because it's all based on Midrashim. One second, it's all based on Midrashim. The argument is that we take into consideration what you say, even if we know you don't mean it. Because Hashem did that. Hashem took into consideration what the Jews were saying, even though He knew they weren't meaning it. Says the Tzamech Tzedek, look at 26, Even if the government's motives is no good. Here the Tzamech Tzedek is willing to concede that the government's motives here is no good. They want to get us to stop keeping our observance. We, halacha takes into consideration what goes on in the mouth. Because the government is saying, The government is saying, We don't want to touch religion. What's happening? The government, obviously, the PR, they came and said, We don't mind Jews, we love Jews, and we love Judaism, we don't have a problem with that. And we don't want to mess with the Jewish religion. We just have these few tweaks that are important. So even if you don't believe them, and even if you say that really they just want to destroy Jews and Judaism and Jewish identity, but at the end of the day, because the lips are saying it, Halacha needs to take that into consideration. So Yesh Loimar, Dagan Kemilsi, we could say that that's also something. So what's Xeira? Xeira is when they come and they hold a gun to you and they say, go against your religion. 
Here they're coming, maybe with a gun, but they're not saying go against your religion. They're saying we love your religion. We just need you to change this. And to therefore the Samach Sadek said that's a second factor to say why maybe it is okay. Then he says another point. Rashi points out in the Gemara and Sanhedrin why Bechlal do we have this rule that if it's Shas Hashmad, if it's Shas Akzeira, then we put we put our uh, we draw a very stark line and we say we're not going to violate everything. Why? Why does that make sense? So Rashi says Shelo Yargilu Ha'ivde Kechavim. It's interesting. We want to make sure if you give in here, they're going to come for the next thing. They're going to come for the next thing. They're going to come for the next thing. It's never going to end. You're going to basically get them used to saying, you want to oppress Jews? This is what you could do. It's so we don't allow them to get used to oppressing Jews. Says the Samach Tzedek, that makes sense. But here, they're telling, normally that makes sense. Here they're telling you, this is all we want. We don't want anything else. We have no problem with Judaism. We have no problem with the Jewish religion. This is the only thing we want. So the whole reason, the whole logic doesn't apply, apply here. And the Lashon of the Tzedek says, Because the government is saying that they want to protect the Jewish religions. So the whole reason doesn't apply. So that's the third heter that the Tzamach Tzedek brings. And now we'll do... Two, there's two more. Two more. We're doing five heterim. So now is heter number four. Heter number four brings us back to what we learned before about Esther Karka Oilamaisa. What was this? We saw that although we say normally Bifarhesya, you need to be willing to give up your life. Esther was Bifarhesya. She didn't give up her life. Why Karka Oilamaisa? So how do we interpret it before? She wasn't being active in the Avera. She was being passive. There you don't, even if it's Gila Arois, even, no, even if it's a, an, no matter what it is. If you're being passive, you don't, have to, uh, you don't have to worry about it. There is another interpretation of Karka Oilam from the Ran. The Ran gives a different interpretation. He says as follows. What's Esther going to do? Esther's going to say, no, 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 no. Kill me, kill me, kill me. What's going to happen? They're going to take her. They're going to rape her. So the event is going to happen anyway, and they're going to kill her too. Maybe they'll kill her too. In other words, when do we normally say Yareg Val Yaver? When, you, when it's a case where either you're going to do Chilol Shabbos, you're not going to do Chilol Shabbos, and they're going to kill you. But what if it's a situation where you're going to do the Chilol Shabbos because they're going to push it, force you to do the Chilol Shabbos and then the whole din doesn't apply. This is what he says. That's what Karka Oilam says. He reads this into the word Karka Oilam. Then there what's going to happen is they're going to force her anyway to do it. Says the Tamak Sadek, that's very relevant over here in our case. Why? Because you're going to be a Yid. You're going to say, Yari, you're going to wake up in the morning in 1844. You're going to say, Yari, I'm going to wear the Yiddish Shalavush, like Hillel Paracher with my long pants and my long kapata and I'm going to go out and I'm ready to die. What's going to happen? Says the Tamak Sadek like this. If the punishment was that they're going to kill you, so then you could say, die. Here we need to worry. What are they going to do? They're going to take you and they're going to make you a Cantonist. They're going to send you off to the military. What's going to happen? You're only going to end up doing many, many more Avedis. So let's be smart about this. If you're going to die, one thing. But you're not dying. What's going to happen is many, many more Avedis you're going to do. How does that help you? So this is what he does. His argument is rooted in the Ran who told us that Esther Karka Oila means that she had no way of basically avoiding the Avera. Is any way going to happen? It's the same thing. Your clothes are anyway going to change because they're going to force you into the army. They're going to take off your payas. They're going to take off your clothes and many other Avedis as well. This is the fourth argument for why the Tamach Tzedek says you don't we, uh, we can go ahead and change the clothing. The final argument that he says is what if you don't want to accept this one? He says another point. And that is, Yesh the number 31, Kiva in Kfar Kama Alafim Hilvishu. 
you have many thousands of Jews who already changed their clothing. In other words, even if you want to accept the idea that there's a Yiddish Lavosh, and this is what we have been accepting throughout the entire Shuva Tzaddik, we're accepting that there is a concept of a Yiddish Lavosh, fine. But now, it's not a Yiddish Lavosh anymore. In other words, or you could say, Yiddish Lavosh has changed. Because the Goyesh Lavosh, the non-Jewish Lavosh, has become so common. Because many thousands of Russian Jews have already started wearing it, so therefore this is part of the Jewish Lavosh. Once it's part of the Jewish Lavosh, there is no Isser for wearing it. And this is the fifth reason why he thinks that there is no issue over here. So what's, in summary, what happens is as follows. What you need to remember is like this. You have two tshuvahs of the Tzamaq Tzadik. Tshuva Tzadik Aleph gets into the discussion. Is there a mitzvah to wear Jewish clothing or not? The Tzamaq Tzadik never resolves that. He gives you sources that imply that there is. He gives you sources that imply that there isn't. Tshuva Tzadik then goes and basically says, even if you want to assume that there is a chiyuv, to wear Jewish lavush, and it is a chukasein leislechu, and there's such a thing, and it's an important value, nonetheless, the idea that, oh, once it's a mitzvah, it's a mitzvah kala, so therefore, yarag v'ayavar, and so therefore, we, should, we shouldn't wear the Jewish lavush, we, we shouldn't listen to the decree, and continue, we should continue wearing the Jewish lavush, the Tzamaq says, actually, that's not the case, and basically, there's a heter, the Tzamaq that gives a very strong heter here, that Jews should go ahead, and change their clothing, which we know, many, many, many Jews actually uh, did at that time. So now you understand what we said earlier. We said earlier that the Tzamaq Tzadik said, if I would have known what Levushim are piled, I would have had Mesir Snafesh. Now you understand what happened, because he wrote his Tshuva, where he basically said that you don't need to have Mesir Snafesh for it. And we just saw, we went through the whole process, what this tradition is saying, how reliable it is, I don't know. But what the tradition here is saying is that the Tzamaq Tzadik looked back, and he said, oh wow, had I known how much clothing actually affects a person, then I would have had Mr. Snafesh. There were other Rabbanim, I mentioned before, of Shlomo Kluber, there were other Rabbanim who said, Yarek Valyavar, Jews have to try to leave Russia, but you're not allowed to listen to this decree. And guess what? One of them was Hillel Paracher. We saw before the story of Hillel Paracher that he violated, the, he didn't listen to the decree, he had his long pace. But in addition to the fact that he had his long payas, we, we have an account of Reb Menachem Mendel Novikov, who, uh, he wrote a whole bunch of different mices and stories, and he writes as follows. Once, the Hilo Parasha was sitting with the Tzamaq Tzedek, and they were having a debate. Do you need to have Mesiris Nefesh for clothing or not? You understand the context of what's happening. The Tzamaq Tzedek said, you don't need to have Mesiris Nefesh, ki en kavanasam lahaver al-dos. They don't want, it doesn't fall under the halachic category of them forcing you to go against Judaism. We know exactly what he means now that we saw the tshuva. Vatzadik Reb Hilo said, no, you need to have Mesiris Nefesh. The Reb Hilo Parasha went with the other shita. And we, uh, this makes sense based on the, what, the story that we saw on the outside of the lesson. Okay, so Venisha Bedaitam, this is really interesting. They, they said, you know what, we're going to ask the Ruzhina. The Ruzhina by this time is not living in Rus- Russia anymore. They're going to ask the Ruzhina. And so there was a Rav from Chachnik whose name was Reb Faivish. He was there and they said they're going to send him to Ruzhin. They gave him a letter and he went to the Ruzhina Rebbe. And the Ruzhina Rebbe said as follows, Chachnik Rav, when Yaakov Avinu received the brachis, from his father Yitzchak, he was also wearing non-Jewish clothing, he was wearing the clothing of Big Day Esau. And so therefore, the Tzamaq Tzedek is right, that it's okay to go ahead and to change the clothing. What you're able to see over here is that Hillel Paracher, and we have, a, there's a number of stories in Piskamim of Hillel Paracher. In fact, in his Sefer, Pelach Harimoy, in his Sefer, Pelach Harimoy, he has a line over there, which he writes, he explains what Levushim are, according to Chassidus, 
It's in the Shir Hashirim section of his Sefer. He wrote uh, my Morim, Biurim on my Morim. And he writes over there, Every Jew needs to be separate so that he could have the Kedusha that is present within, uh, within garments. So um, there is, just to uh, conclude and say the following, there is a letter, uh, excuse, forget the letter. The, if you're interested in this topic, there's an essay that was written in the journal called Hechel Abal Shemtiv, and uh, I don't remember which volume, volume 11, volume 12, by a, a scholar who's passed away. His name was Rabbi Amram Blau. He wrote a lot about this with a lot of additional sources, and he goes through as many Hasidic Rebbes as possible, trying to identify what their position was on this uh, particular uh, issue. So uh, that's a small, uh, a small taste of, uh, of, a, of a very big and complex subject. Uh, uh, that had very, very si- uh, significant consequences. And when you, uh, you look at your dress today, and um, I think we would say about ourselves that uh, we follow both shittas at the same time. I think on the one hand, there's a lot about our clothing that it very much reflects the general society that we live in. But if only for a yarmulke on our heads, which I know we wear for other reasons, or tzitzis dangling outside of our, pan- uh, of our pants, that itself is probably the other shit of, uh, of having some sort of distinction in our regadim. So maybe you could say that our uh, life today is some uh, merging of the two. There is a letter of the Rebbe in Igis Kodesh Chelechof that says as follows. Someone wanted to know, is there an Indian in having Jewish lavush? Is there an Indian in having a Jew- Jewish lavush? So he, the Rebbe wrote as follows. I'm surprised that you have any doubt. You bring in your letter, and Why are you in doubt whether there is um, whether there's an Indian in a Jewish lavush? You bring in your letter, the Mamare Chazal, we saw them before, and Piske Dinim, we saw them before, for example, the Rambam, who suggests that, that, that this is a must. See as well, Shut of the Tzamach Tzedek, Chelek Yeridea, Simen Tzedek Aleph, that's a simen that gives both. Meyusad al which is based, which he, he, he has that Pasuk in Tzafanya, which also says is in... Okay, now if you stop here, stop here. So this is some people look at this. Oh, the Rebbe seems to be saying there's an obligation to have a Jewish lavush. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Or you say, the Rebbe is saying, why are you questioning whether there's an Indian? There's plenty of sources that say there's an Indian. There's a significant difference between those two. Anyway, the letter continues and says as follows. You point out that in Lekutei Deburim there's a Sikhe the Fidik Rebbe, where the Fidik Rebbe says that in Mitzrayim lo levushom. We saw sources about that earlier. The Fidik Rebbe says that refers to a beard in payas. So maybe you can make an argument that the Fidik Rebbe, is, by quoting that, is, is suggesting that beard in payas is enough and you don't need anything further. So, so the Rebbe says that's unacceptable. It can't be that the Fidik Rebbe, we know what the Chazal means. That teaching means levushim. It says levushim. So if it says levushim, ain mikra It's not mikra, but the ain maimer is that And so therefore, you have to take a literal. So you must say that the fitik rebbe is saying that in addition to clothing is also that. So what's this letter? Is this letter psak din? I know that it, it, it does sound that way. On the other hand, I'm not sure. I'm not sure because the the, 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 the language of the rebbe doesn't say there's psak din clear in shochan aruch that you need to have a yiddish levush. What it does say is there's a lot of very, very important sources that say it's an Indian, and there's a lot of important sources that say it's obligatory, so therefore there shouldn't be a question as to whether it's a good thing or not. Of course it's a good thing. 
you want to get into the nitty gritty of whether the Rebbe is saying here that it's halachic chiyuv mamish or not halachic chiyuv uh, mamish, it, it, I, I don't know that we could. Uh, I don't know that we could derive anything from sp- specific from that. I, I was go back to the Samach Sadek for a second. Even the letter of the Samach Sadek, where he says lays out two things. If you would call on a bright sunny day to the Samach Sadek when there is no issue, and you say, should I wear Jewish lavush? Of course, he's going to say yeah. There he was forced to get into the halachic question, is there an obligation, is there mamish obligation? So he said, if you want to get into the question of obligation, and if you want to know historically what happened, there's two kavim. And so he lays out all the sources for the two kavim. Is there any, I don't think anyone questions whether he would say on a, on, on a regular day what a Jew should do, what his recommendation would be. I think we know what his recommendation would be, and I think that's what's happening here in this letter, uh, in this letter of the Rebbe. But the result is, there are those who say that there, there were certain cries in Chassidus that their Rebbe said, Yarek val yaver, and you're not allowed to change your clothes whatsoever. And those cries in Chassidus, the men still wear pants that go only down to their knee. One of the, it was very, all the Russian men would, would wear uh, the pants that would go down to the knee without going all the further down. Whereas those who, uh, those who, um, who uh, like in Lubavitch, there was much more of a change of dress. So some people look and say, maybe this, is the, maybe this is the place to understand it. But at the end of the day, everyone had change. Everyone wears buttons. There's no one who doesn't wear buttons now. So there's some degree of change happened across the board.